we were still writing with a pencil uh, block letters. You're doing what you love. You're doing it with passion. You're making all sorts of mistakes and figuring things out. You're not asking somebody else because they're all my life trying to answer that question. So I wasn't, I didn't think I was an artist. And I, in the world of art, you should have total freedom to do. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Calligraphy Masters podcast. If you're new to the podcast, subscribe or follow, depending on where you absorb this podcast. If you are watching on YouTube and you want to get the chance to win one of those prints, check the pinned comment for more information. Today's episode is with uh, Brody Neunschwander, and uh, this is probably one of the best podcasts, at least for me. Like the whole conversation was super smooth. I really enjoyed everything and uh, I hope you enjoy it too. Thank you so much, Milan. Nice to see you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I'm uh, super hyped, uh, as you can, as, as I told already, and as probably you can see. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've been following your work for like a few years now, but uh, really, yeah. Not uh -huh. so long ago, I made a podcast episode with uh, what's his name? No, that's embarrassing. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to make a guess. You mean Yves Leterme? Yves Leterme, yeah. Sorry am i right if you, if yes 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 sorry if, if you're listening just so many names but yeah and uh when we were speaking with him he talked a lot about you and i became even more interested in into you and your work and that's why you're here today and i'm super happy that uh, you can share with uh, me and with the people who are listening your story because uh, other than posts on instagram unfortunately i don't know much about you and seems like uh, you have a lot to share with the people. So can you tell me to begin with, like, how old are you? Where are you from and how everything started? OK, well, thank you. I'm uh, 63 years old, so getting on a bit. Uh, born in Houston, okay. Texas, uh, way back in 1958. And um, I uh, started school there, but when I was about uh, eight years old, my my mother and sister and I moved to Germany. Uh, my mother was a biochemical researcher, so she had some uh, uh, laboratory projects to do in Germany at that time. This is in the uh, late 60s. And um, so I had to go from a, a Texas school to a German school suddenly. And in Texas, the schools were still we were still writing with a pencil uh, block letters. We hadn't started cursive yet at the age of eight. Uh, but as soon as we arrived in Germany uh, and I was put in a German classroom, first of all, I had to learn the German language very quickly. And second of all, they were already using fountain pens to write cursive at that time. So they were way ahead of American kids, still are, I think. Wow. <laughs> and that was a bit of a shock. And I, 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 it really drew my attention to the process of writing. Um, and uh, then it was only a year or so and we moved back to Texas and by then, the Texas children had started writing cursive, but with ballpoint pens and a different cursive than in Germany. So for the third time in this very short period, I had to change my handwriting. And I can remember being really interested in that process, even in Germany, very interested in drawing the letters carefully and uh, even decorating them and making a nice composition on the page. This is something they generally encouraged in the school there, but for some reason I took a particular interest in the process. So uh, that really already at eight years old, I was quite interested in handwriting, uh, maybe as a result of this. Uh, this. You're the second person that 
I know or like that I learned about that started in such a young age. I mean, the other person is Paul Antonio. I think he started. Ah, yes, of course. The, yes. age, the age of nine. And you're like now talking about data. I'm like, wow. Well, not calligraphy, you know, just just realizing that handwriting is something interesting. Uh, that... What you were telling, I felt like from that age, you somehow had already love for letters. That's true. Yes, that's true. And actually, it wasn't that much later. I think at age 12 or so, I did start to make an illuminated manuscript. Wow. <laughs> um, Yes, I, it was. It's a disaster. I still have it, uh, and sometimes to make people laugh, I might pull it out of the cabinet. But it, it, I had one speedball pen and um, knew nothing about papers or inks. Or there was nobody to tell me either. You know, at that time in Texas, so I just played around with it and made up my own sort of gothic script. Of course, gothic. I mean, a teenage boy is going to start with gothic, I think. And then uh, uh, that that went on. I, th I don't know how long it took me to make that project, but I can still remember sitting at a desk and very carefully trying to to write the letters. And now that I look at them, I mean, they have a sort of weirdness that is actually pretty interesting, <laughs> but it's entirely because of incompetence. And then just a about three years after that, high school then, uh, I took a Latin course and the Latin teacher at the high school was very interested in calligraphy and she taught me a little bit. And from then on, really, I never stopped. So already at about age 15, I thought it was a very serious thing that I wanted to do. And um, I never really stopped after that. Wow, wow. I'm, I'm just so, this, this means like at the age of 12, you basically started with calligraphy or? Well, badly. I mean, <laughs> I mean, but yes, you know, no teachers. And I think sometimes you you can be your own best teacher in the sense that you you're doing what you love, you're doing it with passion, you're making all sorts of mistakes and figuring things out. You're not asking somebody else because there isn't somebody else. And so you actually, even though you don't don't develop a sort of fine knowledge of the traditions and the skills, you develop this very wide knowledge. It's very wide. Um, how can you say foundation for later? Um, refinement, let's say. Mm -hmm. And I can still remember when I got to, I mean, I, I went to college in the States and I somehow I thought that maybe I wanted to be a calligrapher, but really it was art history that I did. You know, they weren't offering calligraphy at my university. They, they don't offer it at any American universities. At a design school, they might, but not often. Uh, but at a, at a proper academic university, I went to Princeton, They there was no chance. But there was, again, this lucky thing that happened. There I... Um, you know, this is before this. I think photocopiers were on their way in at this point, 1977. Uh, but still, to you know, there was no such thing as desktop publishing. You know, you nobody could design anything with type. You went to a printer to do that. But the university art history department saw that I wrote very nicely on one of the, you know, you have to write a card saying what dormitory you're in or whatever. And I did it in Gothic. Well, from that moment on, they let me design all their posters, not in Gothic necessarily, of course, but, but so I was doing all these calligraphic posters for the university and they were then, I don't know how they reproduced them. Finally, there were photocopy machines too, and they could do that. And so that I was always trying to, you know, if the lecture was on Maya art, I was trying to do Latin letters that somehow made you think of the Maya. If it was on Baroque art, I tried to do something Baroque. So again, no teacher, but there was one man in at the university in the rare books department. I'm still friends with him, by the way, after all these years. Um, 
And he said, you should come around. No, no, that's not what happened. I went to the rare books collection and I said, do you have any medieval manuscripts? He said, we have lots. And, and one of the secretaries said, yes, but he's an undergraduate. We don't let the undergraduates use the medieval manuscripts. He said, you let him use anything he wants. <laughs> and so from then on, whenever I went to the library, I could go in and I could say, I want to look at this 12th century manuscript. And they would bring it to me and I got to look at it. Uh, so that was, that was my first real teacher was um, looking at the real things, you know, and the magic of a medieval book with its gilding and its gorgeous writing and its beautiful binding and the gold and everything, you know, that was just like going into Aladdin's cave of treasures. And that, that made me quite certain that I wanted to learn from those manuscripts and somehow make something like that. You, you, so you started basically with Gothic, but Gothic is a favorite. Do you remember which specific script from the Gothic you started? Is it a Textura, Fractur, or Rotunda or something? Oh, certainly I was looking at Textura. I mean, I didn't understand at that time any kind of difference between uh, Rotunda or um, uh, the, the Fraktur, the Schwabacher, all those things would come later. And actually, they never interested me very much in the end. Um, the Gothic was, I think what was happening was really, I was trying to take myself back several centuries okay. in time. I wanted to live in another time. <laughs> and Gothic manuscripts represented an, a kind of escape. I didn't need to escape from anything, I had a lovely life, but it just was magical. Okay. Um, so no, I, I think the, and there was no serious study, you know, of looking at the letter forms carefully and trying to imitate them. I did learn about the gold and the mix, the grinding, the colors and all that stuff as well. But um, it was really diving into history. That was the sort of thing that happened at university. Okay. And for, for how long it's been like you just learning and trying on yourself and at what point it started like more serious? Like, did you take some class? Did you find some specific books? And at what point? I did take classes. Yes. And so when I, I, I did my postgraduate work in London, so I moved from the States to London in 81 and I was going to do art history again. By this time, I understood that that would really be academic and it wouldn't be practicing a craft like calligraphy. But luckily in London at that time, there was still something called the Roehampton Institute, which is long gone, but it was a, you could have full-time or part-time calligraphy education there under two very good teachers, one still alive, uh, Gaynor Goff, a wonderful woman, very active, and the other died a few years ago, Anne Camp. Now she taught in the strictest, most traditional way, the, the ideas of Johnston and Eric Gill. So a very, you would really call it typography instead of calligraphy almost, you know, because there's no, there's no schwung and movement. There's no dancing of the pen. It's really very formal, careful relationships, which to me are very typographic in their concept. Mm -hmm. And I applied to this school and I nearly got rejected. <laughs> and <laughs> she later, well, well, she said you had done so much and it was so bad that we never thought we would be able to fix your problems. <laughs> oh so wow. I thought that was hysterical. Anyway, they decided to give me a try. And within, as soon as I got the, as soon as she explained the principles, you know, like of a, a circle related to the 
of the round O related to the N and everything that makes Trajan work or that makes a foundational hand work, all those geometric relationships. As soon as she explained them, I, you know, I understood that immediately. That was there's no, not rocket science. Uh, and so I became quite good at the formal calligraphy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I could do a very good foundational hand, you know, very good Roman caps, all that stuff. Um, but uh, what, and, what age is this? Oh, this is, oh, I'm 24 so at, at this 20, point. 24, you already felt like, uh, how is it? Uh, you were good with some scripts already? Like how Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, do, you, do you know what the SSI is? Or it, the Society of Scribes and Illuminators was the big society of calligraphy in Britain. Okay. It was uh, founded by students of Edward Johnston, and in Britain it counted as a big deal. Well, they had a level of membership called fellow, and a fellow was somebody who submitted work, and it had to be high-level work, quite formal, okay? And then they judged it, and you were either in or out. And I got in at 26, I think, but Dennis Brown got in even younger. So, <laughs> so um, anyway, the, the, the thing about all of that is they were holding up a certain standard, and that standard was English calligraphy of the mid 20th century, very formal, uh, with very little understanding of all the movements that were going on in the world in the 1980s and 1990s. In other words, no idea that desktop publishing had started, that laptops were coming, that in 91, that Photoshop was quite well spread around the world. No sense of this at all. They were in their lovely little English, you know, traditional world. And um, I sort of at first went into that world as well with them, like I went into the medieval manuscripts. I still was longing for that tradition. But all of a sudden the telephone rang and it was the filmmaker Peter Greenaway, who was a very great cult filmmaker, very great artist. He's still alive, but I think he's not doing much now. But truly a, 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 a monument of 20th century filmmaking. And he said, I need a calligrapher who can do all these things with a quill pen, but I need it to be expressive and emotional. And I need it to you know, do all this stuff. And I said, oh, I can do that. <laughs> I had never tried it in my life. <laughs> yeah, because I was about to say like, wait, you didn't say that. Because I had a question at what point you start, start uh, going into the expressive stuff. And I was like, okay, you didn't mention this. <laughs> right. Well, I see the, the sort of the English phase was rounded off by one year working for a calligrapher called Donald Jackson. Marvelous man, still alive. He did the most fabulous formal scripts uh, on parchment with gold and all, you know, the whole royal medieval thing but it's still living in britain these days and i worked for him for a year and so that brought me as it were to the i was watching the top of the ancient tradition mm -hmm. you know he could he could gild like in the middle ages he could paint like in the middle ages he could write better than the middle ages um and i got to where i could imitate his style because that was my job uh, so that sometimes he wasn't sure if he did it or i did it and that's the normal position of an assistant in a situation like that. But at that same time, this telephone call happened and there's somebody saying, he wants me to take all this traditional knowledge that I have 
and basically pimp it. You know, <laughs> we're going to take what you know and we're going to just throw it into the world of high tech media, film and installation and uh, um, performance and all this stuff. Well, he changed my life with that one phone call. I can tell you that. So okay. that was really exciting. And what happened? Like, how did it change it? I mean, what was the whole experience? What did you have? What did, did they require you to do for the movie or? The first movie was called Prospero's Books. Uh, it's, a, he, it's historically set. And so he needed a pen writing for the camera like you would see in lots of Hollywood films, you know, um, Shakespeare in Love or something about Casanova, whatever. You see the quill pen writing in front of the camera, but he wanted it to do more. He wanted the pen to be an actor. He wanted it to express emotions, not just be historically accurate, but add artistic expression on top of that. And so I had to, I had to write, you know, much sloppier, much inkier, much faster. And while I'm writing for the camera, he's throwing out uh, commands. He's saying, okay, now, make this word look like it sounds and i don't the camera is running and all of a sudden you know it says the word awake make it wake up so i have to just think oh what does that look like you know and you try something and then you do it again and again and these were fantastic experiments because the calligraphy world in england had never looked at calligraphy as a kind of conceptual art they didn't, you know, you, you found a style and you worked in the style. You didn't ask yourself, how does that style communicate emotions and ideas to the public? Um, so uh, they totally, basically, the, the, the world of traditional calligraphy in England at that time had totally cut itself off from the possibility of creating works of art. They could only create... I'm sorry, it's going to be a strong word. They could only create works of kitsch. Let me just turn the phone off. I forgot to mute it. Hold on here. All right. There we go. Uh, and very good, very well-made works of kitsch, but... What, what, what does it mean, kitsch? Like... Uh, sentimental, cute, um, easily satisfying uh, basic emotions, but not really asking you anything deeper. As, okay. as you experience the work of art, not challenging you, not, not uh, turning over your ideas or yeah. um, doing things that modern art does. I see. Yeah. Modern art is kind of supposed to be kicking you in the ass, you know, <laughs> making you think about your life. At this age, like uh, this was the moment where you discuss, like where you decided or found out that this is what you, you want to do for the rest of your life or? Oh, that decision had already been made when I, when I finished working for Donald Jackson and I uh, started on my own. I knew I was going to be a calligrapher. I didn't know really what that meant. No, no, I, I mean, not the calligrapher, but uh, the more expressive stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The expressive, the Peter Greenaway really put that thought in my head and it took at least 10 years for that thought to grow. Uh, because it's uh, it was a very difficult thing to know how I would situate calligraphy in our times. I mean, if you ask it yourself, you know, I think in a, in a younger demographic, you know, I'm 63, people in their 20s who uh, see 
an urban landscape filled with you know, gothic graffiti or whatever that's a, that places it for them it gives a context and it gives meaning to uh, those kinds of letters and those kinds of activities um, but that's not really true of all of calligraphy so like for example how do you um, take copper plate and make it an expression of our times that's that's not an easy thing to do uh, <laughs> Wait. and most calligraphers don't ask the question. I, I never thought about even such question. Now that you asked, I was just like, wait, wait, like something glitch in my head. Like, I can't yeah. even imagine this. Yeah, well, that's that's because uh, you're going to wind up with a big headache when you after you talk to me. I give people headaches. <laughs> no, I don't Because I so. ask difficult questions. No, but this is great. I mean, yeah. this is interesting. Yeah, well, so, I mean, an example, if you, like in what is copper plate mostly used for is social calligraphy is the big use of it, commercially speaking, in America and Britain, mainly, uh, invitations to weddings, menus. Uh, and when when you use it, of course, it has a certain feeling of being chic, upper class, expensive, fancy. You know, you don't, you, you wouldn't use grunge typography on a wedding invitation. Well, maybe some people might, you know, but... <laughs> But generally speaking, you want the idea that it's elegant, that it's refined, that it's upper class. And copper plate does that for you wonderfully. So it carries those meanings with it, right? But if I do um, uh, Gothic, first of all, there's many different kinds of Gothic, then it carries different set of meanings. Some Gothic will look like metal culture. Some Gothic, Gothic may look like punk culture or even um, S&M culture. Some might look like Nazi culture. Some might look like the Middle Ages. So it, Gothic carries meanings. Yeah. Uh, and then if you say, well, so does every kind of writing, then, you know, what, like, what would you say Italic? What does that, what does that mean, you know? <laughs> Uh, kind of boring, actually. It doesn't carry a lot of meanings like Gothic does. And that's probably one reason that the young people aren't so interested in Italic anymore. Why? Do, do you think so? Well, I, it seems to me that modern calligraphy has sort of replaced Italic. But wait, like, uh, what's modern? Like, like I, I, I guess every person has a different idea of what's modern calligraphy. What do you mean by modern calligraphy? Is this the, you know that the copper plate look like, like with thin and... Okay. Is this modern calligraphy? Well, that's what you, if you type modern calligraphy on the uh, in, that's what you get. But I just, I call it calligraphy light. Because okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're just, you're doing it the easy way. <laughs> um, and there's not really, I mean, what does that look like? That looks like greeting cards. You know, it, it carries a certain level of meaning. Well, I don't know if I should say this because some people might be offended. Yeah, well, I offend everybody. So. I don't want to offend anyone, but I, I think I've said it in my other podcasts. I have a Nips podcast with Paul Antonio. Like modern calligraphy, you say it looks like, to me, it looks like nothing. Like, yeah. no offense to anyone. Like, if you like it, do it. It's just me. I yeah, mean, yeah. Well, I would tend to agree with you, but it's filling a it's filling a social role. I mean, and so in that sense, it has meaning. Whether you like it or not is something else. It's not your demographic. That's not the group. That's not the people you hang out with, right? Yeah. So, but sometimes I meet such people, and and you know, I have to say, oh, you know, like I don't want to be dishonest, but you, I don't want to be a rude person as well. So of course, I have to compliment their work, but. I mean, to be honest, like I never like 
I never liked it. Like right. when I when I search something and it and it appears a lot, I'm I'm kind of annoyed because like what is this? Yeah. Like, why it even exists? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. I mean, I think that's that is the but that you're what you're doing is you're actually ex explaining its meaning because you're saying well, there's a whole big world out there of people who do this. They like to do it. They choose to do it. They find it nice. So it must be serving a purpose for them, and um, it's very different from a purpose that would interest you or me. Um, so it's just, I, I consider this as being different urban tribes who who have their different styles. And the Gothic tribe has its style and the, you know, the graffiti group or the tagging group has its style and the modern calligraphy people have their style and the uh, Iampeth black uh, uh, copper plate people have their styles or styles. Yeah. And it's funny because like why, I'm curious why all people consider this modern calligraphy because to me, what I consider modern calligraphy is everything that is like, you can do even a modern Gothic, like everything that you do at our days and it's not according to the tradition. Right, yeah. I don't know how that name settled. It's very odd, but that became the name of the style for some strange reason. It did. And I think it was quite simply because uh, enough people were doing it and calling it that, that that became the name. But uh, it doesn't really matter. You can call your, your contemporary Gothic something else if you like, you know, <laughs> Gotham Gothic, or I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, it's it, The interesting thing is to ask what is being communicated. And that's what Peter Greenaway really was teaching me was that um, uh, it's a lesson that you would learn if you went to graphic design school and you were doing your typography class and they were teaching you how to choose a font for a, a graphic design project. Do you choose a, a serif font, a sans serif? Do you choose a classical or a modern? Do you choose a heavy or a light? Do you choose vertical or slope? They'll teach you to look at those and understand that each one has certain feelings and meanings and that some of them will be right for one project and some of them will be right for another project. And with calligraphy, of course, that just is a much bigger question because we can always do more than a typographer. Um, and uh, so with Greenaway, all the different projects that I did for him, I had to develop different styles each time uh, because one project, project, well, one, I did a huge wall project uh, and it, uh, it was all around a particular painting by Matisse. And so what I did was I looked at the, 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 the paintings of Matisse and I tried to get a feeling for his forms. And then I translated those forms into letters. And I created a kind of a style of calligraphy that looks a little bit like some of the human, the legs and the arms and whatever in the Matisse painting. So that's, that was a project to create something for a context. And another one I have to create the handwriting of somebody from the 18th century or uh, somebody from uh, the 16th century, uh, or I had to create a... What's the process of doing something like this and how long does it take it to do it? And to fit like, to, to be like it's what's supposed to be? Well, when I was beginning with him, because we worked together for 30 years, okay. so that's a long collaboration, uh, it was, it was not so hard at the beginning because he was showing me one specific historical script and uh, I could learn that script and then I could pimp it. I could jazz it up and change it and, you know, uh, basically be messy with it instead of neat. Uh, and so the first step for me was getting messy, getting dirty, getting inky, 
uh, and uh, that what that was doing was it was um, taking the calligraphy away from a kind of typographic regularity and towards something where on the film screen you think that just came out of this person's pen live. You know, it, it, it looks like it's really a live process. So that was not such, I didn't find that so difficult, but the next big project was the film, The Pillow Book, where we painted on the actors and the actresses. And that was so difficult. Um, You've done the, the, the calligraphy for this movie? I did, but I, for the Japanese calligraphy, I had a Japanese assistant, but I was the art director also for all of the graphics in that film. I haven't watched this movie, but I know it's been recommended recommended to me by, I don't know if you know him, Tio Swan? Uh, no, I don't know the name. I'm he's sorry. A, he's a young dude, like uh, he's uh, part of the crew. He's based in Berlin. Anyways, but yeah, he, he told, like as we've spoken and like back then I was asking, is there a calligraphy movie? And he and some other people have told me about this pillow movie, but I never, like, I guess I've watched some, something like a trailer, but I never watched the movie. There's a few clips on my website, two or three short clips on my website that you can see. And I, you can't find it online. You can find some clips online, but I think the only way people could find it would be to go to a kind of video archive or library with a big video collection. They will have it and you can check it out probably that way. But the, I think the thing about that is I was actually still quite young in my artistic career. So I had I was a sort of calligrapher and then I kind of became an artist. That's a sort of a very gray zone for me. But oh, this, is, the, this is very cool that you mentioned it because like last like last episode I asked this specific question is do you consider yourself more calligrapher or an artist? But I guess you already answered it now. No, it's not. It's not an easy answer because I I don't know and truly. I, do you I don't think know there the is answer. like you think there is a huge difference between being a calligrapher and being an artist? And could you be a calligraphy artist also? Like, are they are those three different things? That is the sixty four thousand dollar question, millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think, what do you think, like, how do you, do you think it is? Well, I don't, okay, so I've spent my, all my life trying to answer that question, so I can't give you just a, you know, one sentence answer to it, but there is, there is nothing in the world of art generally, so just taking the world of art as we have it now, there is no rule in that world that says you can do this, but you cannot do that. In the world of art, you should have total freedom to do what your artistic impulse tells you to do. Uh, the uh, problem that we have in the West, and this is really Western culture, is that we don't have a history of using words as works of art. Uh, that's something you do have in China, going back 1500 years at least the idea that the main art form is calligraphy. That's a Chinese idea. And actually it's also an idea connected to Islamic calligraphy, but in a different way. But the Chinese invented the idea that writing is an expression of your soul. Hmm. They invented that idea more than a thousand years before anybody in the West ever thought of it. And um, they did that because of two main things. One is they evolved calligraphy towards using a brush on paper or on silk. So 
a brush is very different to a pen. It's soft, it, it's very, you can really do a lot of manipulation and change with it. You can really express, uh, uh, you know, from the heaviest lines to the finest lines. Uh, and paper was cheap, so you, it was easy to experiment in China. Uh, that's one thing. And the second thing in China was that they had this process of choosing their, their government officials by imperial examination. And they've started those imperial examinations in the year 124. And they only stopped in 1906. All this time they were doing this. And what was the main thing you had to do if you wanted to pass the examination? You had to have good calligraphy. And the reason was they felt that they could tell from your calligraphy whether you had the discipline and the honesty and the character to be a good administrator or not. Whoa. That's a Chinese concept. This sounds so cool now that I listen to it. <laughs> this is so yeah. cool, seriously. Wow. Yeah, it is. Well, and, and so what this did was that it focused Chinese attention on the ability of handwriting to form character and to reflect character. And we would call that graphology now, you know, in the West, we, we can, I can look at your handwriting and I tell you whether you're a psychopathic murderer or you're a very nice father or, you know, whatever. We can interpret from things from your handwriting, so we say. But the Chinese have believed this for more than a thousand years. And we do not have that in our tradition. What we have in our long tradition of art is painting and sculpture and architecture. And calligraphy was a kind of, um, minor art serving practical purposes mm -hmm. but it wasn't a major art and so even now in our modern times we don't have the mental apparatus for looking i don't mean you and me we're calligraphers so we do but the general public does not have the apparatus up here for looking at calligraphy and understanding what they're seeing mm. yeah whereas yeah. the chinese and the japanese if they're educated they do yeah, it's a think, very different mentality. Do you think this can happen in, uh, for us as well? Or oh, I'm not? certain it's it, it's in the process because what, you know, graffiti is one of the great art forms of our times. You know, it, it's a truly astonishing art form. And um, the problem there is only that, you know, if they paint it on a canvas to sell it in a gallery, that's kind of considering selling out to the to the bourgeoisie. They want to paint it on the walls of the train station. You yeah. know, uh, that's the real fighting spirit of graffiti. But uh, a, a lot, like I know a lot of people, including myself, and I, I guess a lot of the younger generation, there are people who are from graffiti. They come into calligraphy. You know? Yeah. Is that the calligraphy movement that you mean? No, not not exactly, but I just know people which like they, they've been doing graffiti and at what one point they decide just they go straight to calligraphy. Like calligraphy is something that uh, I know what it is, but I don't truly understand. understand me. Uh -huh. like, yeah. Why do you think some of these graffiti people go over to calligraphy? What is their reason? I don't know. For, for example, for me, I had love for letters throughout my life. And so at one point I was also uh, doing graffiti for mm -hmm. me i discovered calligraphy when i was 23 and when i discovered it i because i had this love for letters i just knew i want to do this because this just i wanted all my life i wanted to do beautiful letters and i discovered calligraphy via this guy which i mentioned earlier Tio Swan. and yeah 
this is what like when I watched his video, he was doing kind of his own fracture textura. It's not the traditional, but you know, personal one. And mm -hmm. when I watched, when I saw it, I was like, wow, this is so cool. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I just wanted to be able to do something that is my own, my own calligraphy, my own letters. And that's yeah. how it started. Yeah. So I guess, I guess maybe it's the same for other people, but maybe not. Did I you guess. do graffiti before? Well, I was As a teenager. Yeah, teenager, definitely. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so for me, it's love for the letters, but yeah, I, I haven't done a long time ago. And yeah, uh -huh. I know, I know uh -huh. definitely a lot of people, which a lot of them they've been doing it before, but doing calligraphy now. And I know yeah. also people which are doing both now at the same time, graffiti and calligraphy. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, there's no, again, in the world of the arts, you do whatever you want, you know, there's no rules here. And uh, I think the, the thing about writing that's maybe different than our other art forms, painting and sculpture, is that all, almost all cultures have it. There are very few cultures now that don't have writing, um, unless you're in the middle of the Amazonian rainforest, perhaps, but even there, they're writing Latin letters now. Um, but uh, so it, it joins people together around the world. And I think in a sense, you know, we live in a time where globalization is a big, a big thing and a big problem, of course, and a big possibility, but it's something that you can, uh, you could, we can create a global community of calligraphers. And we are in fact doing that right now, as we speak, you and I, yeah. um, and so that's, that's something quite fascinating to have a global community of painters. Yes. I'm sure those exist too, of course, but why not calligraphy also? I mean, it's just as powerful a form of human expression as anything else. No, I, think I think that's the point. I think it's the best form. It's better than that. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, we would say that, wouldn't we? <laughs> yeah. So, and so we do, that's one of the things that I do is this thing called a brush with silence. I just posted it on my Instagram this week. A brush with silence is a performance that I've developed where we've had it in, a, in about 10 countries now, where about 15 calligraphers from different cultures, they, we come together in one space, uh, okay. dark space and everybody sits at a table and simply writes his or her own language so Chinese Japanese Hebrew Greek Arabic Latin uh, English German Cyrillic uh, Thai Tibetan whatever we can find we have those calligraphers sitting there and writing in their own scripts and everybody's together and uh, it's it's an amazing symbol of the power of writing but also the power of people to live peacefully together so that's a you know a real mission that we have as calligraphers is to is to say that we can do this you know world we can live peacefully it it will work if we just try and why is it called silence a brush with silence it's a play on words in english when i say i have a, a, a like a, a brush with death it means i came very close to death when i have a a brush with uh, excitement, it means I come very, you know, brushing, I come close to something, it touches my skin. So a brush with silence okay. is you come in and everybody is silently writing, some with brushes and some with pens. Oh. So we're doing it on the 7th of May. I'm going to make a little plug here because you'll be able to watch it on either YouTube or Zoom. We don't know yet, we're, but we're going to advertise that everybody in the world can watch on that evening, 7th of May, 15 calligraphers in Bruges. This podcast is gonna come later than this event, but uh, I'll definitely ah. post it on Calligraphy Masters Instagram. 
I mean, okay. Uh, I'll be watching. You can also send me some links. I will promote. I'll send you some stuff. Yeah. The thing I'll is, send you some like uh, this sun, like in today's Friday, this Sunday, I released the first because this is season two of the podcast. And Sunday, I released the first episode, and then it's gonna be one episode each week. And the one that ah. we're recording, recording currently, it's probably seven or eight. In, okay. So okay. It will take well, that's time. all right. I'll just send you the the information, but. Um uh it's uh it's going to be wonderful and what people will see that because we're also we're also going to have live links to calligraphers in other countries okay like um, 7th of may you say let me 7th of may yeah yeah this, uh, i've written it down i'll send you the information and so that's that's a, in that that sense you know as, as i said to you that i think a lot about is calligraphy art or something else craft mm -hmm. or whatever and I do think about that a lot. But when I do this performance of Brush with Silence with the other calligraphers, I don't have that question at all. I know exactly now we are doing something that means a lot to the people who are visiting. They come, they are fascinated, they're silent, the children want to watch. They understand that it's about peaceful toleration and coexistence. Uh, they know that calligraphy is, is uh, something deep in the human soul when they see this. Uh, and so it's one of those ways that for me very successfully brings calligraphy into our times as as something deeply human and deeply meaningful you said like uh, you started doing expressive calligraphy and stuff like this but uh, you never mentioned any tools like were there some specific tools that you were using and such that are better than others well, f first, I need to back up again and say th this whole thing about becoming an artist uh, was was during the 90s becoming very a, a big, big, a big source of emotional stress. Um, uh, I wasn't sure what an artist was. I wasn't I didn't think I was an artist and I still ask that question. And um, there th I um, did get an invitation by some galleries to show work. And those were quite successful shows. I mean, I sold things. I couldn't believe it. What age and, was uh, this? Oh, gosh. Well, I'm over 40 now. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, it, I would have been about when I was 42. I had, you no, know, when I was 42, I had my first big gallery show in Belgium and it was a success. It was amazing. Um, and what, what, what did I do to create those works? Um, I took everything that the that I had learned from the film director, mm -hmm. but I also looked a lot at contemporary art. Uh, there's a lot of contemporary art with words in it by very famous artists, Bruce Nauman, Jenny Holzer, uh, Barbara Kruger, Cy Twombly, um, Andy Warhol, John Baldessari. I mean, there's a lot of major modern artists who use words mm -hmm. and i looked at their work and i thought and i asked the question what did they do with their words and what words did they choose okay what kind of letters did they choose and what does it mean when they do that what do i look at it? what how do i interpret what they did well it was absolutely mind-blowing to do these studies uh, and um, and I learned so much about what I should be doing with the calligraphy that I knew to change it into something 
that had deeper meaning and would express me instead of expressing the history of Italic or the, the history of Gothic or something. I needed to replace that history with my own, you know, present life and feelings. Uh, and so I, uh, I realized that uh, I needed to write my own words. That was the first thing and not go back. I don't go to an, a poet sometimes. Mostly I write my own language now. Okay. And I don't, I don't write it on the keyboard first. I write it straight on the work of art without any planning. Uh, so that's been a big change because it's my thoughts. If you, if you could read it, you're, you're reading my thoughts, not somebody else's thoughts. Okay. And uh, that changed a lot. So I thought that was a very big step towards becoming at least a poet. Well, I think it's the step that make you also an artist. Cause I think so. I think I'm... so. And also suddenly I realized that um, that I'm connecting again to this other great tradition, the Chinese, because in China, the calligrapher is very often the same person as the poet. Okay. You, very often they write their own words. Uh, and so I thought, ah, yes, that's that connects me to a big history. And then I then I realized I did have something to say. Sometimes funny, sometimes critical, sometimes sad, sometimes very happy, sometimes secret, uh, sometimes uh, loud or soft. And uh, that just depends on my mood on that day, really, how I'm feeling. And then the, then the... Like, while I listen to you, what you're saying, I think that like sometimes when I do works, I just do also my words, but lately I do a lot of like quotes by some people. And now you're telling this stuff makes like so much sense. And I'm like, I'm very confused. Like at the same time, I'm confused and excited. Like this is like very mind opening, eye opening for me. Well, one of the things that uh, this happened partly because when I worked for Donald Jackson in the late 80s, we had a lot of conversations. He's a very intelligent man, had a very wide view of calligraphy, I think. Um, and he at a certain point, he said to me, you know, I don't know why calligraphers don't write their own words. Hmm. And I said, I said, well, Donald, you don't. <laughs> and, and he said, but I'm not a poet. Well, you know, when you say something as simple as that, you've already, you've pointed to the problem in one sentence. Okay, it, what he's saying is, if I'm not a poet, I can't write my own words. So all I did was I said, even if I'm not a poet, I can write my own words. It doesn't matter if I'm a poet. It doesn't matter if they're any good. It matters that they're my words. Oh, I'm so excited right now. <laughs> This is so cool. Yeah. And so, and then what happened was slowly they became good. You know, I just started writing, uh, picking up a pen, taking a big piece of paper and writing. Like uh, on the, this kimono back here, it's some of it you can read. All of it is words that are written spontaneously at that moment created on the kimono. So that kimono is the thoughts of that day. What can you tell me about this? <laughs> it's the best pen in the world. <laughs> yes. Everybody a, says so. <laughs> it's one of my favorite for sure. I love Good. It. I'm glad to hear that. What do you like, like about it? I, like, to be honest, for a very long time, I don't know how long, because I usually don't have much time to write. For me, it's basically have to run all the things online. But mm -hmm. for the first few months, I was like, What is this? Like, why? I, I thought there's something wrong with the pen. It was just I couldn't use it. And now I can yeah. use it in so many different ways. And yeah. uh, 
what I love about it, I don't know, like somehow you managed to to make the pen to really express yourself when uh, mm -hmm. when you're using mm -hmm. it because uh, yeah that that's uh, that's what i have the feeling when i write with this snow because i can write in different styles with it but it express my movements and everything like that's me so and yeah good it's, it's a good. very good quality I, i don't know there's so many good things about this pen seriously yeah, yeah. It's one of my favorite pens and whenever i go somewhere i i always take some pens but this is always with me <laughs> uh-huh yeah i take that i use I, i my favorite is that pen a quill uh a real feather still okay. and and then i like an automatic pen and i like a, a really fine pointed sable brush for certain things uh and i have a comb pen a pen that i make out of a comb and okay. yeah it's fantastic I don't have it here at the, I should have one to show you here, but um, it's, I just make it out of a hair comb, put in a handle and uh, it's fantastic. Oh, I, yeah. I never just even imagined for such thing. Uh-huh, yeah. Is, so- is it, is it easy to that, do? Yeah, if, it, if you we want, I would get one if you can, if I can leave the screen for one minute or sure. 20 seconds, I'll be yes. back, just a moment. Okay, I can show it to you now. Wow, this is a very tiny one. It's about two and a half centimeters wide. Okay. So there's my finger. You can see how wide it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just a fantastic tool um, for splattering and drawing. And you can even work very delicately with it, in fact. So I, I've been teaching it online to my students how to make this one well if they, if they if they sign up for my courses they they get a little video showing how to make this pen and the cola pen and a quill pen and various other things my web, my teaching website has these short films on it that show you how to make different pens okay oh i guess i have to check this one <laughs> classes <laughs> <laughs> all of your listeners should take my classes yes yes i'll leave links in the description but and we will talk about this but Yeah, I wanted to know like how it came to this one, like uh, how this one. Oh came well, that's life. a nice story. Uh, I, uh, one of the students at, in London, uh, an Italian woman named Anna Ronchi, um, after she was in London, she went back to Italy and uh, she got married to a wonderful man named Domenico. And Domenico is an expert in metalworking. He's really a genius with fine metal tooling and all and uh so she asked me if we if, if it would be interesting to try to develop a new ruling pen and so we developed this project where he would make a prototype and i would test it and then we would improve it or he would improve it and i would test it again until we came to this final form and uh so then they they produce the pens by hand every single one and uh, they distribute them as well And it really, it's, I think, as far as the quality of manufacture, it's just the best thing there is. So, yeah. and I like the weight. It's, you know, it's a little bit heavy. It sits nicely in your hand. And No, I love the weight. I think it's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but how, how long did it take the whole process to create this? Oh, well, uh, probably 
two years to develop it and then another year or so of improving it because they started selling it and but Domenico is a perfectionist and he said I'm not I'm not sure that the screw will last long enough we're going to have to make it better I want better wood I want I, we have to get better gold because yours is covered in real gold you know yeah I, I, I think yeah. it's from I don't know when you released it but I think it was uh, very young uh, like when I just received this one I mean uh-huh could be um but they he he's continuing to work yeah and it doesn't clog i mean you know you it doesn't ever stop you can easily turn it and the other thing is is the gold doesn't wear off which is a surprise yes. you know you can use it a lot and the gold is still there so and i don't think they're selling gold ones anymore for the moment they will again they're oh. improving the gold i was thinking <laughs> i have a special one <laughs> Right. Um, I like the gold one more than the stainless, personally, because I think it slides better on the paper. Yeah? Mm -hmm. That's my experience of it. Well, I just like how it looks and also I have yeah. a lot of gold, as you can see. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You start talking about classes, like at, at what age you start teaching and what did you start teaching people? Oh, well, I started teaching uh, in when I was about 30, and uh, you know, I shouldn't have, I don't think, but I started teaching them medieval illumination, which is what I knew at that mm -hmm. time. And then uh, in the in the course of the 90s, after really becoming more of an experimental calligrapher, I then tried to communicate those ideas to the students, how to, you know, base, use the tradition, but make something contemporary. And that's where I've really continued. But one of the things I've added to that has been a kind of um, uh, global approach. In other words, I will look at Arabic calligraphy as a possible source of shapes for Latin calligraphy. And I'll look at Chinese calligraphy and see if what we can learn from that as well. Um, I, I know you have a class. I just don't know how to explain. So I'm just going to show you. I want to speak a bit mm -hmm. about this because I love this. Like I even thought Yves done this workshop and I showed to him and he was like, no, this is a workshop by Brody. Yeah, yeah. I think it's influenced by Chinese or something, but when I saw this, I was so in love with it. It looks so yeah. nice. Are you thinking of the course called Finding Inspiration in Non-Latin Scripts? I don't know what it's called. Like there was a student of yours that took the class and he uploaded some works. Well, I had a great student called Gyeong Yi Lee in in uh, Australia, and she really she did a lot of interesting things oh, with the, the I sources. found it. No, this is oh, a, okay. This is a, a guy. He's uh, Philip Sislak. I don't know. Oh yeah, Philip Sislak. Yeah. Uh, okay. Very good. Yeah, he's done some wonderful things. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Oh, that is that's based on my course, um, which is uh, looking at Chinese seal script. And what we were doing, what, uh, this is this is now a recorded course, so you can sign up for it at any time now, uh, is we're looking at the way Chinese characters are built uh, and trying to learn something so that we can build individual words in a similar way using Latin letters. And people can go to um, hashtag Brody online and a lot of my students post their work there and uh, you'll see some of that. And there's also another, you'll see other work where they've been, where they've studied uh, Arabic Kufic script and use that as a possible inspiration. And um, 
I think that what you're seeing from Philip Chislak here is a kind of combination of the two. So how, how big is this uh, course or class? Like how, how long time it takes? Well, the, my, my online courses are three Mondays. So uh, one series is, uh, is, the, is three Mondays in one month and uh, each, each is two hours and the recorded versions are a little bit longer because I add extra material. So I think you wind up with about, oh, six hours of recorded material and then lots of handouts and then you have access to all the short films as well but is this for any level person in calligraphy or you have to have some knowledge already to do this well it helps to have some knowledge but i've had complete beginners before and um it depends on the beginning you know that's a that's a question you always get uh, what experience should should i have to do this and i it I usually ask people to send me work so I can look at what they've done uh, and then I can get a feeling for, you know, how, what, what their artistic personality is really. Mm -hmm. And then tell them whether, whether they need to first go and do a basic course and then come to me or not. It depends on the person. And like, uh, at what point you start like teaching only your your like expressive kind of calligraphy like and did you and how many do you have any developed scripts that are totally yours like oh yeah tons yeah 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 okay. <laughs> tons uh some of them have become fonts which we haven't really ever tried to commercialize i worked with a font designer to digitize them and all but they're they're so strange that <laughs> i don't think that they would ever be very commercial but mainly Mainly, what I, what interests me is um, uh, to not, for myself and also to teach people how to create new forms based on their understanding of the alphabet, mm -hmm. Latin alphabet, Cyrillic alphabet, Greek alphabet, whatever. Um, certainly, the Western alphabets. I would I wouldn't dare try to teach an Arab anything or a Chinese anything, but uh, and to really create new forms. What interests me right now is very much to see how I can manipulate the form without losing it. So can you read the text or can you not read the text? Uh, and that, that fascinates me a lot to, to stretch the possibilities of legibility and to look at stronger black-white relationships, to look at um, uh, the meanings of the shapes. So do they make you think of you know, this culture or that culture of this period, or that period, what emotions do they um, express and so on. Uh, and so I invent new scripts all the time. You know, every, every, every time I do a new piece of work, basically it becomes different to, to the last one. So I don't really, you know, if I've done three or four pieces in a style, I'm ready to move on. Are you not teaching any of those that are your style scripts? Don't yeah, yeah, I do. That, yeah, certainly. The So, for example, one of my favorite concepts, I call it wrong letters. And last year, 2021, the, the, the four courses in the autumn were all devoted to wrong letters. Now, wrong letter to me means that when you're making a letter, the rule is, because it's a game, the rule is you have to do something wrong on every letter. Mm. <laughs> so if, for example, you can do 
on the one letter, you can do two different kinds of serifs, one at the top and a different one at the bottom. Or you can change the proportions, or you can put the heavy mark on the wrong side, or you can um, uh, uh, you can combine different forms, but it still has to be the letter, but you have to make it wrong. Okay. And, and, and then you have to make the second letter and the third letter. And uh, it uh, there's a lot of this on my website and in my Instagram, especially the, uh, what happens is that you wind up getting these really interesting dramatic forms. And it's a lot of fun to do because you're not just repeating yourself. Yeah. So the idea is then that you become the creator of your own script. Uh, and uh, I think that's uh, something that really calligraphers uh, can do in order to, how, how can you say, um, express themselves more personally. And let's see, what will you find? Yeah, if you find the, oh, that's the documentary. Uh, wow, okay. If you go to the online classes, 2022, you probably should go to the online classes 2021. Oh, no, look at the Apollinaire. Yeah, that was interesting. Those are some wrong letters there that you're just in the, yeah, that's a, that's a, no, the next one down. Those are wrong letters there based on Arabic a little bit and oh. trying to do something wrong in every letter. I, I've seen this on your Instagram. Yeah, and this that one, too. I that love came, this one. Yeah, has a lot of wrong letters on it, especially on the sleeves. It's got some basic Gothic, but it has also letters that are completely free creations. Um, and so I think basically what I've, and though that these are the Matisse letters that I was talking to you earlier, that yeah. based on the shapes in a Matisse painting. Um, I do a lot of, we're just starting that course. Oh, this is the, a mural? So yeah, big, yeah. Well? I do a lot of murals, uh, okay. especially for that's a mural text or a wall text. Yeah. Uh, and then this last one, I, I'm glad we get to this because in the autumn, uh, I'm going to be teaching. And this is, I mean, this is an important thing for me because what uh, this year will end with four courses that I call shaping your story. And I was telling you that I write my own words. And I, I think that if we want to move from being calligraphers as letter writers to calligraphers as makers of meaning, artistic and personal meaning, then we need to really figure out what story we're going to tell. And so in my Shaping Your Story courses, this is I do what I really, my favorite thing to teach is that I, I have my students write stories mm. about their life. Okay. And then we make we make works of art based on those stories. So yeah, those are wrong letters. I love uh, like, this is so I don't know. There, there's such a beauty about this. There's like balance. Everything is so perfect. I don't know why I call it wrong. There's nothing wrong about it. <laughs> well, if you look at the, there, that O is easy to see, but to the left of the O is a K. Yeah. And it and it has an extra stroke in it that shouldn't be there. And after the O, I think is a is a T, and? but I'm not even oh. sure. Oh, uh, might yeah. not. What is that? Actually, I'm not even sure what that is anymore. <laughs> uh <laughs> it's an N. Oh, I see. After the O is the letter N broken into two halves. Yeah. And then after that is M. an M. That's easy mm. to see. It's and under the O is a G. Yeah. Can you see that? I like that G very much. 
Yes. And the next to that is an H, but it looks more like an N. Yeah, I was about to say it's an N. But it's actually an H, I remember now. And is this a T? Yeah. And then after is a Y. And below the G is another N doing something different. Okay, but how do you like, oh, I guess, no. I'm, my question is answered by attending the class, probably. I was gonna oh, ask- Oh, well, you can ask how, anyway. <laughs> I was gonna ask, how can you do something that's like, you call it wrong, but I'll say something that's, yeah, so wrong and at the same time, it looks balanced, like. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, exactly. I mean, huh. Um, in, it, I'm not sure that as an artistic, process making it so balanced is always good because sometimes life feels imbalanced and you want to express you know the imbalance of your experience but those are a very very dynamic balance i mean it if anything went wrong it would just fly off and it would just you know how can you say it would be ruined in an instant so it's a very tense process to make those pieces but i love doing it because uh, you're always trying to balance after you make a letter, you put another letter, you try to balance, try to balance again, try to balance again, but always try to create new shapes. Um, and so it's a challenge because there's no going back, you know. Okay, for example, this last post that we were looking at on Instagram, what tools did you use for this one? That's a pointed brush, a, a pointed sable brush being used to outline and very quickly fill in while the outline is still wet. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. I have to put on very strong glasses to do it. <laughs> okay. Is there? I guess you answer. But is there a favorite class that you love teaching the most? Uh, well, I like teaching the wrong letters very much with the automatic pen. Especially is a lot of fun. Um, I like teaching my own pen and the comb pen. So I use I use the comb pen in combination with the Brody pen. Okay. Sometimes one letter, I start with this pen and then I change pens and I finish it with the other pen. Uh, and I really like the way that looks. But then the, the thing that I like to teach is shaping your story. Mm -hmm. It's very personal. It's very, people cry a lot <laughs> when they take that course because I ask them to write very personal stories. And then we really look at, it's kind of like psychotherapy. Okay. And uh, they they have to do illustrations and they have to do, word experiments and they have to play games with each other in the classroom and they have to do things with their eyes covered and all sorts of interesting processes um, to get deeply into their story. Hmm. And I really like that because when I sit down and talk to each student, um, it's very personal. And so online, we're going to have to have some way of having these personal conversations too. Because yeah, it's very... I was about to ask because you say you teach them, but then you have pre-recorded. I was going to ask, do you do them live or you do uh, virtual? Live, live. My, my, so far, my courses are live. And then last year's courses are, some of them are online as recorded, but they're, they're different. They can be recorded. I don't think uh, uh, you're missing too much. The thing you do miss is the crit session because I have, I have, I finish all my courses with a live crit session and everybody sends in work and every single piece I comment on. Mm -hmm. So everything you send in, I comment on. Okay. Um, do you, so you teach via Zoom also? Zoom. Yeah, that's right. And mm -hmm. I think you do, you did some, I don't know if you can call it uh, collaborations with Calligraphy Italia. You teach with them or not? I've taught for them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's right. Uh huh. In the past. Yeah, I love to go to Italy. Who doesn't? 
No, so you didn't do it via Zoom with them or? No, I did something for uh, Ardington in England and something for Chicago on Zoom and something for the Polish Academy on Zoom, but I don't think I did a Zoom course for the Italians. So what's your, what's your favorite part about teaching? That the students often do better work than I do as a result. And I think that's just wonderful. How is that? That I, I have a hard time believing this un unless there are some. It's true. <laughs> there, there's, a, there's so much talent out there and there's so many uh, fresh new people doing such wonderful things. And you know, when you get to my age, you want to pass it on. And uh, I've spent a life thinking about what is modern calligraphy? What is calligraphy in our times? Is it an art form? What can it be in the future? And it's not going to be me that answers that question. It's going to be the next generation. Mm. Uh, so I can just tell them what I've learned, talk to them, listen to them. And, and, and really, I tell you, I'm, the classes I've been giving online, people send in stuff. I just think, whoa, <laughs> that's amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, so I show them my kimono and then they show me their kimono. And I think I, your kimono is better. You know, it's just, uh, it's got something so personal. And, so, and, and I think that's wonderful. You know, you, you, teaching is a real, really good way of seeing the best side of people. Is teaching the best part of calligraphy? Like, I, I like to ask people, what's their favorite part about calligraphy? Oh, yeah, well, well, teaching is a different thing. The best part, part of calligraphy to me is when I surprise myself. Okay, how is that happening? Well, uh, uh, very often I'll start a piece uh, and I like to work quite large, sometimes, you know, even three meters wide or something like that. And it, and it can go completely wrong. I mean, you just think, oh, not again. And then you, uh, you, you put it away, you have a cappuccino, then you have a beer, and then the next day you go and look at it and you think, oh, what am I gonna do? You don't have an idea. And maybe the next day you don't have an idea. And then three days later, you have an idea and you do it. And you just think, yes! And you would not have done that except that you made a mistake or you ruined it the first time. So you have to fix it. You, you know, you can't give up. And it's that sense that, that making mistakes leads to the real discoveries. That's for me, the exciting thing. Speaking in that matter, do you have a book of yourself about calligraphy? Well, uh, I mean, or are you working on such? <laughs> Well, I, I, there's a book of my work that's, that's I've been out of print for a while called Textasy that was printed in, in Belgium in 2006. Very nice book, but sadly unavailable. I think you can see it on Amazon, uh, but I'm going to do a new book uh, okay. because 2006, that's already 16 years ago. You know, I have done a lot of new work since then, so it's time to make a new book. And I, my big ambition is also two more books, one of student work I would like to do. If I can find the time and another one I want to do, it would be called the big black Brody book. And it would just be black and white work uh, over my entire life from the last 30 something years, experimental marks and writing and alphabets. Um, so I, but I need to, maybe that's uh, after this year, I can maybe start on that. This Something is, like that. This last one sounds very exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I have this thing called the blue box. It's a big, a big box which I've been throwing ca calligraphic experiments into for thirty years, <laughs> and 
it's well, it's you know it's flowing over you you can't close the box anymore it's <laughs> but if i can go through that box and scan things in i think that there's some interesting material in there i, I guess we all have this kind of box i just <laughs> mine is not blue and it's not a box but <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. i guess we all collect our stuff this is super yeah cool. yeah and yeah are, are there some books in your life that helped you a lot or influenced you in calligraphy or lettering that you can recommend to people well well yes but they're not always necessarily lettering books i mean there's a beautiful novel about a calligrapher by the writer orhan pamuk and it's called my name is red in english okay it's placed in early ottoman times in istanbul uh and it's it it's a just a very elegant and beautiful book about uh a craftsman in Istanbul who is a calligrapher and the calligraphy serves as a kind of symbol for so many things in his life. Uh, and since Orhan Pamuk is a writer, he can kind of use that calligraphy as calligraphy, but calligraphy as a symbol of writing a novel as well. That's really, really a, a beautiful uh, book. And I suppose the one that influenced me most was by Donald Jackson, the man I worked for. He wrote a book called, before I ever knew him, a book called The Story of Writing. Uh, but he also made a, a, a documentary in the 70s on, uh, uh, on the subject of the book. It's the history of Western writing from Egypt to, to his time. Mm -hmm. And I saw that documentary when I was a, a boy in Texas and I just thought, yes, this is what I want to do. And I never imagined that, you know, 10 years later, I would be working for him. So that was a very exciting thing, really. Um, but my reading is not normally about Western calligraphy. I mean, I'll read the history of Arabic calligraphy or Chinese calligraphy to understand the cultural place of calligraphy in those societies. Uh, I, I tend to read more history generally than specifically about calligraphy because I, I'm, I'm really interested in um, the structures of societies and how calligraphy or writing shaped those societies. So that's why we did the documentary for the BBC uh, called The Secret History of Writing, uh, which is a three-part documentary which came out in 2020, and I'm sadly it leaked to YouTube, so you can watch it on YouTube now. Okay. Uh, it's with you? It's with me and a lot of other people, and it's the best documentary on writing that you'll ever find. <laughs> okay. I, and it was the result of 12 years of research. Wow, okay, that, that sounds interesting. I'm definitely... Yeah, yeah, if, you're, if your people don't know it, they should... I mean, it starts with... Uh, oral traditions, and then it moves on to the first, the development of writing in Egypt and Mesopotamia and China and Central America, and then it goes through the Middle Ages and goes right up to the present day in China. We filmed in China, we filmed in Uzbekistan, we filmed in Egypt, we filmed in Turkey, we filmed in everywhere, really. So, uh, it's absolutely uh, amazing experience to make that documentary. You, you've been involved in many projects apparently like is there one of all the projects that you've been involved that it's more, most close to your heart or it's more special well, so, well a small handful let's say the making the pillow book certainly 
uh, working for Donald Jackson, because uh, I learned so much from him, uh, and doing the documentary, of course. And then I've been very lucky over the years to have a lot of commissions to work in metal. Uh, so I started small with one project doing laser work where well, I design it. And of course it's laser cut in a factory. Um, and then that's grown into quite a few projects, very large architectural projects. And uh, I, I've really enjoyed doing that, um, learning the technology. Basically, uh, you know, I had to become completely digital learning uh Photoshop, Illustrator, all that sort of stuff, of course. Um, and learning how, I mean, one of the exciting things of, of basically of, of the computer is that you can go from, you can scan anything, you can prepare it, change it, you know, retouch it, whatever you want to do. And then you can uh, send it to a laser cutting factory. You can send it to a weaving factory. You can send it to a glass factory. You can send it anywhere and they'll make something out of your design. And so I think that in that sense, um, before the computer, all of that was quite difficult. Mm -hmm. So the, the computer is for calligraphers just the best thing. Uh, it really means that anything we do on paper near i mean I've, I've worked in so many materials and of course this is my my friend is my stylus so i have a uh, i'm talking to you on a very big wacom tablet uh screen and so i do an awful lot on the screen normally scanning and then uh, adapting it on screen with the stylus but sometimes the calligraphy starts on screen and not on paper and even for animation you know i had use the uh, uh recording pack it's like uh, you can do this in Minicam. You can uh, you can write and record the writing, and then you can put that in a film. So that's pretty cool. I like how the conversation goes naturally towards my questions, because <laughs> yeah. I was gonna ask about digital and like I had more specific uh, question because you're apparently working on a vacuum, but I, I'm sure you've seen people doing online iPads procreate mm -hmm. calligraphy, and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to mm -hmm. know what are your thoughts on this one. Well, as I said earlier, in, in, the, in the world of the arts, everything is allowed. Um, so yes. the question the question is, what do you do with it? What meaning do you bring? To, can you create something that moves another person's heart? That's what matters. You know, I just like, it's annoying because many people just, uh, I, if you're a calligrapher for me, I, I've spoken about this with many calligraphers. I think for me, the biggest problem is that uh, a lot of people that have no knowledge or skills in calligraphy, they grab the iPad pencil and they do some nice calligraphy because it, it, right. it fixes everything. And it fixes everything. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a bit like uh, disappointing. Like I have no problem people to do it, but first have the skills on, on paper, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, it, you sound like an old man Milan, because, <laughs> because when I was young, uh, the old calligraphers were talking like that. Oh my they God. were saying, <laughs> no, seriously, they were saying, if everybody has a computer and if, if everybody starts doing desktop and if everybody starts doing typesetting, we're going to have a world filled with all this horrible typesetting and all these horrible things. Well, uh, that did happen, but all the wonderful things happened too, you know, and, um, 
So I think there's only one there's only one thing you can say, and this is advice to anybody who wants to make a profession here. You're a professional, okay? You have to live from your work. I'm a professional. If I want to eat, I have to make calligraphy that people want to buy. Well, that means I have to be better than the other people. I have to go faster. I have to use the technology better. And I have to have a vision going further. So all those people you're talking about, they're chasing you. They're a bunch of dogs chasing you and you just have to run. You know, that's, I learned that in the eighties. I learned, you know, the, I, my only hope is to run faster than the other ones. Wait, I'm so confused because you, you made me like, I, like I'm a boomer, <laughs> but this is not- <laughs> No, 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 no. Like, but I mean, it's serious. It's you know, that problem I, is an eternal problem. I have a specific problem and I, I said it for me, it's the problem. If you have no skills and you jump and it does everything for you and all of a sudden you're a calligrapher, this, this what annoys right. me. But- right. Because I spoke with Yves as well, and I know you you've done something. For example, I have no problem with VR calligraphy. This is okay. something for me. Like this is so cool. Like it's, I know I love it. I love it. It's fabulous. You know, my friend he gave me like I, I've tried the iPad, and I'm, I'm like I don't like this. I don't want to do it. But when I, like I was five minutes into VR, and I I, I was amazed because you know we always work 2D uh, 2D yes and The yeah. moment you can do calligraphy in 3D, this is just so mind-blowing. Like, well, do you know this? There's, do you know the program called Multi-Pen? Multi-Brush. Multi-Brush? Yeah, Multi-Brush and also Gravity Sketch. And Well, we can do a performance together. Oh, yeah. I just have to be my friend because I don't have an Oculus yet. Oh, I got. I had my Oculus. Check this. This is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I have wow. an Oculus. Yeah, I've done a performance with somebody in Poland. Uh, she was in a theater in Poland and I was in my studio here. We did a lot of rehearsals, a lot of practice so that we knew what we wanted to do. And it was the coolest thing. I mean, it is indeed the next step because you're drawing in space. But like if I write a word in one direction, then I can walk through it and see it from the other direction, you know, and I can turn it in space. I could just manipulate it like this. It's just the coolest thing. And uh, I think the quality of the line can be beautiful. You know, I think the, um, the experience is, is, can be very exciting. So I have, the thing is, is that these technologies are all coming and you are right to think that if they try to skip the proper training, they will not be able to do as much. Mm -hmm. So if you have a good foundation in letter form, geometry, spacing, everything to do with the um, proper shaping of letters, let's say, in the traditional sense, mm -hmm. you will be able to go farther than people who do not have that. Because, you know, like in VR, what I, like, well, I said what I don't like in iPad because you have this option, it fixes it. In VR, you don't have this option. If you draw this, it shows you this. It's not like yeah. in the appropriate, yeah. you do this and it fixes. In VR, yeah. it, it's whatever you do. First, That's right. it's your own strokes. And second, you, as you explained, you yeah. can turn it and everything. But I have a question because, for example, uh, like I started with Fracture. This is like one of my favorite things. And I love Fracture. But that's a problem that I experienced in VR. I cannot find a brush that I can do. Uh, like Gothic calligraphy because all the right. brushes... I use the, they are moving. So I yeah. wanted to ask if you if you have found some solution to this. 
Well, we, we don't, we, we, we certainly in the performance, I certainly found an edged pen in multi-brush okay. that worked, that worked quite well. I didn't do Gothic because it didn't fit our concept, but I did Arabic. Okay. And they have an edged pen for Arabic too, but it, you know, it flowed nicely. And I thought it, I thought it was an excellent edged pen tool now it you know it is a fixed angle if it's 45 degrees it's always 45 degrees but you can change yourself you know you move your body and then you change the 45 degrees that way but then you're not in the flat you know then your word is doing this yeah. and of course there's no point in vr in working flat i mean why would you have this fabulous technology and then work flat you know, you, you want to work in space. So you want to start your word and go like this around your head with the word. You want to go up with it. You want to go down with it. Uh, and then you can grab it. Did you, have you done the copy paste yes. in multi-brush? Oh. I've done a lot of things. It's but just incredible. Can I see somewhere what you've done in VR? Is it I, in I do. Yeah, it's, there's nothing online yet, but I mean, we do, we did a recording of this performance. Um, I just want to see what you like. What's your result? Because I know I do like some different stuff, but I'm really curious. I'd like to see what you do. Where can I see your VR? Well, like I, I have to go to my friend probably next week. I guess he might come as well. But okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's for me. It was more letters, as I thought. I couldn't yeah. really do like I can do something that looks like a brush calligraphy in the VR, but like what I, I as I said, I tried. I tried to do something like a fracture, and this was a problem. I, I yeah. couldn't find a brush to do on it. But but let's say let's say we take the word fracture for what it means, broken, yeah. in in German, right? Fracture is broken, like fractal, like fracture. So what if you you take the the fracture one step further and you break it even more? So, in other words, you you know what we we see it like. If you did this, you know, the thing about VR is if you do a stroke and another stroke, they're not in the same plane. Yes. They may look like it from here, but if you look here, they're not. You know what, what you're explaining? I've done this. Yes, I found this, but you know, I I, I just, I, I found this, uh, what is called, uh, go around to, yeah. to, to achieve it. But I really want to have a brush that sits like, just to experience what, like a proper, uh, fracture letters, you know. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. There must be a way, but it'll it'll never be. It's not a flat surface, so there's never you can't control it. I don't think to that degree. But we, like we played a game, the my the other person in the performance making dots. Okay. Try we tried to. So what we did, we, we we got in the same space. So my mask is here, and she comes, and she's in the same space. So we're looking at this at the same direction, okay. and then she goes out and makes a dot. And I go out and make a dot and she goes out and we try to make them in the same place. And then we turn and you realize they're all over the place. <laughs> and then we play with that. We use those dots to create the next stage, you know, putting one letter on each dot or something like that. And, uh, and then we ended with, you have all these really special tools, which will do flame lines and drops of water lines, you know, yeah. all those crazy things. Well, so we call that going to Las Vegas. <laughs> so we drew with all those crazy things and and it just became it looked like las vegas in the end with all the lights it was so much fun can you show something from it well i we have a recording i i, I don't know you mean you mean now do you are you yeah, asking just, if i can just, find it yeah just, let's see can i share a screen 
Let's see, I can, apparently. Marek, and you see Philip Chislak, his name right there. Here's the performance. Okay, let's see. Um, I'll probably advance it through. I'll make it bigger, and then I'll advance it to get to a okay. place where... She was very pregnant. <laughs> That's the cut and paste. And I want to find the, oh, here's the different languages. Is this a uh, Hebrew or what? Hebrew, yep. Well, with Hebrew, it looks so, so easy to do. Yeah, Hebrew is quite easy. So we're just adding languages. There's Chinese, Egyptian. Wow. Runes? Phoenician. Let's see. It's there. See, we start to it, all the different languages are coming together. And then we got to this, let's see, Las Vegas. Oh, maybe there's not going to be Las Vegas on this one. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that was just a rehearsal, I think. Mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that gives them a little idea. But there's a lot you can do with it. Yeah, wow. And the fact that you have an Oculus, this is just so cool for me. Uh, I definitely <laughs> would love to do something with you. Like, I just need, like, I guess next week I'll be able. Because, mm -hmm. as I said, I don't have my own. But, yeah. Mm -hmm. That would be super fun to do something with you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that the, you know we just create a dark space, and then but we did have a concept. We were moving through stages of the evolution of writing. Well, well, I, now I want to show you also what I've done, but I have nothing here. <laughs> okay. I'll ask my friend because he has everything on his computer. I've done different yeah. stuff. Like I remember the last thing I did, like last time I was at his place. You know what dome? A dome? Is it dome? Yeah, dome. Dome. Oh. Yeah. I just made a dome out of letters, out of calligraphy, like. Yeah, yeah. It, it, well, that's very interesting because we call them domes and it's because it's natural, isn't it? To make the round shape around you. It's quite a natural thing in VR to create a dome. So that's what we did as well. Yeah. We called it seven, we called the performance seven domes. Wow, and this is cool. This is so cool. Like, uh, you see, for VR, I'm excited, but Procreate, um, you know? Yeah. Well, I would never use Procreate. I mean, I, I just, it's, you know, you know, when you, uh, you, uh, there's all these filters now where you can, people make, change their faces, you know? Oh. <laughs> and so, so now you won't be able to, 
you won't know anything anymore because everybody's face will be altered in a filter. Then you think, well, where is real life after that? I, I don't like the filters because like from stuff that I see, I follow like, you know, I have girlfriends and uh, I see this causes a huge problem because they start not be able to look to themselves without a filter and the, the, their ego becomes nothing and they all terrible. They, Absolutely terrible. Uh, this, well, yeah. procreate is the same. Yeah. Procreate is just another filter to to destroy your self-confidence, but it looks like you're doing well you know that there's underneath it some uses that i, I uh, okay that i'm okay for procreate like as i like i said already if you have skills it's fine and there are specific moments that it can save you a lot of time as a calligrapher yeah but yeah the rest yeah i'm, I'm not for it yeah for for doing logos and all that kind of stuff i imagine but i still i still prefer to do all of that by hand and then retouch on screen no. Um, and I think that that I do. If you look at the logos on my website, I think I do more styles than other people because it's it's all coming from handwork. Mm -hmm. If you do everything digitally, then you tend to use a very narrow range of styles, and things get more and more the same. In my experience, it's only it's handwork is a good way to invent new forms. Yeah. Do you consider yourself a master of calligraphy? And and the next question is, what for you is it's calligraphy master? What defines a calligraphy master? <laughs> well, historically, I mean, I, for me, everything always, I, start, I answer everything by starting with history. <laughs> what did people think and what do they think now? Uh, it was a very different situation in, in earlier societies when you had to learn a specific thing. Mm -hmm. And so you did your seven years apprenticeship and then you did your master examination and then you passed and were a master and so that was because the criteria that they were setting for you were very specific we don't have those criteria anymore uh, so we would i think that the only way we would be able to say who's a master is who is um uh as it were important in the current debate about what calligraphy is uh, and who who is, um, I guess, who, I, you can't go by followers because I don't have very many no, compared to a lot of other people. This uh, is not a, a factor. So, but no, I, no, probably, I would say that probably in thinking about what calligraphy means that I probably do more of that than most people. Um, and I think that if you look for like, I cannot do Trajan caps like Eve can do or John Stevens could do. I just can't do that as well as that. Um, and I, at a certain point, I learned about myself that that I wasn't going to be the one to make a perfect Trajan O. It wasn't going to happen. So I thought, well, I can either feel really bad about that uh, or I can find out what I can do instead. And what I can do is very different. Uh, and I think that uh, both are very interesting uh, in the calligraphy world. It's nice that we have both, that we have the complete control of John Stevens uh, and those types of calligraphers. And that I don't know if you know who Randall Slaughter is, uh, American artist. I think he's in the calligraphy world. I mean, people know his name there, but his work is 
urban grunge, so much fun. It's just crazy. I absolutely love his work. He's one of my favorites, but he's a master of making the line tell a story. Okay. And uh, I would like to be able to say that I have helped to define new directions for calligraphy. Yeah, and like you just said, you don't have many followers. This is very annoying for me because I think like there's so much, so much more people that should look to your work and learn from it. Because there is such like when I look to your work, there is freedom and there is something different and unusual. Which all those words for me are super cool. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I I don't play the social media game, so that doesn't help. But also, you know, most people probably don't want new. They want what everyone else is doing. I'm afraid. And that's not me. Well, I, I don't know. I know quite a lot of people that are or should be interested in what you're doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's uh, certainly enough. I don't have any problem with that. Um, uh, but uh, the, uh, the, the thing that I, I've, I've really tried to do is to um, understand what the core of calligraphy is to, to my satisfaction, not, not to anybody else's satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And to uh, bring that into line with certain ideas of modern art and personal expression and so on. So that's, that's really been my mission and my journey and certainly not over. I think this should be everyone's mission because even if you're a traditional calligrapher, even if you do traditional calligraphy, you have to change it up and you have to update, upgrade it, or I don't know how to say it, because it can't be always the same. Even masters from last few centuries, they've been changing stuff, which is today considered mm -hmm. super traditional, but they've been doing this, what, for example, mm -hmm. we are doing, doing uh, unusual things for their time. And I think this is important and more people should... Uh, well, yeah, and they, I think the difference for the future is the ones that do make those changes and, and, and uh, update it, as you said, the, they will be the ones that, that determine the future of calligraphy. You know, we, the past of calligraphy is in very safe hands. We have thousands of people who can do historically correct calligraphy. So that's our, that's our traditional base, let's say. That's, so that's in very safe hands. That's not disappearing it's it's there's going to be some people who come along and say okay so we, we have that but what where do we go now and uh and that's more the side i sit on i'm and, and quite also, happy to have someone else do the trajan also i i, I don't think uh, we should separate people like these are traditional and these these, these do the expressive mm -hmm. or the new like i don't think there is a problem to do the both of them of course mm -hmm. like it's mm -hmm. not for mm -hmm. everybody like you prefer doing your own thing, but for mm -hmm. me, I, I like with the same amount of, like, wait, I don't know how to, <laughs> let me think how to say it in English. I like equally doing traditional calligraphy and equally experimenting and doing my own things. For me, mm -hmm. both are amazing, mm -hmm. you know? Well, that's good. That's that's the way it should be. They, so they're in dialogue with each other. Your your traditional love and your, your love of personal expression. Or a nice dialogue. That's that's the way it should be. Uh, that's a very enriching process. So, yeah, well, I would like that to be the general view of calligraphy, and I think it will be the general view for the the thinking calligraphers or the people who are really trying to push things forward. 
Uh, I'm not worried about that. I think it's all going to grow in a very exciting direction in the coming years. I mean, if you look at what's happening in in Islamic calligraphy or in, uh, you know, if, if you see the new, uh, I think it's the Museum of Modern Art in, oh gosh, where is it? Is it Qatar? It's, it's, it's this amazing uh, titanium sort of oval donut completely covered in Arabic calligraphy. Oh, Dubai. Simply the Dubai. The Museum of Future. That's it. That's the one. Uh, and then there's the, there's in, in, is it Beijing or Shanghai? I think there's this, the, the one, one of the newspapers has built a building covered in laser cut calligraphy. Unbelievably wonderful. So there's all this stuff happening. But this is in Asia. Like, why is there anything like this in Europe or America? Like with, with Latin or Cyrillic or whatever? Like, I don't know this. Like, well, I think, uh, who, who is it quite to? like, who do you think well, those would be the architects. Those would be the architects making okay. those decisions. And an architect in the West may make that decision on occasion. But as I said at the beginning, calligraphy is not a major art form in our cultural history. So it, the architects don't quickly go to that. It does. You see, if you put Arabic calligraphy on the new building in Dubai, you're making a statement that connects to Arab culture and history because their script is the symbol of their culture and history. If you do it in China, it's the same. But it doesn't, that's not really true in the West because the Latin alphabet doesn't represent English or German or French culture in the particular way that Arabic or Chinese does. We, it doesn't have that same symbolic value because Latin was used for everything. Yeah. Well, Anyways, if somebody's watching or listening and no architects, send them this podcast. Let them think mm -hmm. about it. <laughs> Absolutely. In the world. <laughs> we do. We do. Well, you. I mean, you've seen that chapel I did, I think, covered in writing, didn't you? Yes. Uh, well, that's, I mean, that was a nice commission to, uh, to apply writing to a fairly large building. Uh, not a huge one, but a nice, nice size project. And I think, I think there are occasions when it would be appropriate to a contemporary architectural project. Yeah, the architects just have to know about it. They have to think about it. Mm. Do you know Pokras Wampus? I don't know him personally. I certainly know his work. Yeah, that's what I was asking. Do you know his work? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, well, yes. I'm really curious to hear what do you think. I'm more probably you like it, but what do you think about such artists? Uh, well, I mean, it's amazing how he's he's made it sexy. He's brought it to, you know, uh, the very expensive cars and other pro luxury products and uh, buildings and so on. So I think that's all fantastic for him and for the, the reputation of calligraphy generally. Um, and he may, he's mainly working on the basis of a, of a Gothic letter or, or pattern making, which fill in the entire surface. So he has a particular style, which on the whole covers the entire surface. So it's, it's, um, a kind of what would you call it? Uh, uh, we say in English horror vacui, meaning there are no spaces left empty. Okay. Kind of. And uh, so um, I would like, I mean, if I were to say, Pokras, I dare you to try this, I would say, um, try something where you leave some space. Okay. No, I, I, I think he, he has also such works, but. Uh, the thing is, he developed his own style, which he calls calligraphy futurism, and uh -huh. and he, because he studied the 
the Chinese, Korean, Japanese, Arabic, Cyrillic, and somehow he mixed all this to create his own mm -hmm. thing. But yeah, I, I well, that's good. I, I mean, yeah, I why not? What you're, what, you're, what you're saying, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. For me, like this is one of the things that really caught me in the beginning of calligraphy. I loved like this kind of no space. Like there are few few calligraphy artists that I follow that do this, and I've been sitting like hours and just. How can I do the same? Like to be so beautiful, balanced, and without any space. I really, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I really yeah. love such work, actually. Yeah, well, I do too. It's what what I'm saying is is basically, and I look at any artist when you have enough of their works to be able to say, this is what they've done for a certain a length of time. Like with Mark Rothko or Jackson Pollock, you know, you see a career, you see a certain approach, and you think, oh, yeah, that's fascinating and wonderful. And what if this one thing had changed? You know, what if Rothko had, you know, because he only ever did color blocking. And uh, I always ask myself if he didn't get bored in the end doing just color blocking, if he wouldn't want to change one thing in his painting sometimes, but he never did. Um, so, and I think that about myself too. You know, my wife always says, when are you going to stop doing calligraphy and do something else? <laughs> She's What? Time, time to try something else. <laughs> You've done enough letters, no, so it's never enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're young. I've been doing it a long time, so yeah, maybe I, maybe I want to become a, a, a somebody working in bronze or in ceramics or. Well, but you still use calligraphy into it or not? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I do a lot of other things, but people don't see them. I do a lot of. You know, just things to amuse myself, sculpture and so on. Yeah. As well. That, yeah, yeah. Have I've done some some sculptures to do. That? Yeah, yeah. I make and they're usually in plaster, so they're for indoors, not for outdoors, and and they do have marks on them, not necessarily writing. Yeah, that's what I want to ask. Do you have some calligraphy sculptures? Oh, uh, well, the laser cut work. Yeah, yeah, okay. uh -huh. yeah. Hmm. Yeah, certainly there's, I did a pavilion for a, a, a little town in Belgium. It's just a sort of wavy thing of writing that is on four poles mm -hmm. and you can stand under it. It makes nice shadows. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like sculpture is something that I, I really like and I see some calligraphers go into it, but I haven't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think El Cid has made amazing oh, yes, yes. Amazing sculptures. Yeah. And uh, this is something I'm really interested in, but I, I haven't came to this point yet, but I really love to see more of this in the world and yeah. need to do it including because yeah. this is just another level of uh, calligraphy. I don't know. Absolutely. Well, calligraphy in that sense can be applied to anything. So, yeah, certainly sculpture, certainly architecture. Wait, I want to show you something. Well, we almost finished like, damn, it's been almost two hours. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry if it took to my. I just I just didn't realize. It's just listening to you. It's uh, and talking with you is so cool. Thank you. Okay, here it is. Uh... Oh, yeah, isn't that fun? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, presumably laser cutting there as well. Uh, there are other ways know, of doing it. There are the, different ways of cutting that. Yeah. There's a table. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it's yeah. a table or a chair, but there is a table. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. Is also probably laser cuts yeah well that's the great thing about the technology isn't it you can just do anything now wait no there is no picture of the whole table the table looks amazing 
Uh huh. But yeah. Goodness. Probably not. This is part of the table. This is actually the. Yeah. Oh, the legs. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Those are legs. Fantastic. Wonderful. That might be um, uh, not laser, but with it's a, a lathe cut layers and maybe even glued together afterwards. Right. I don't know. Hard to tell. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Well, it's been lovely to talk to you. No. Yeah. I just uh, wanted to ask, like, if you if there is something that I haven't asked you, but you wanted to talk about or share with people. Oh, uh, well, no, I mean, my main one of my hashtags that I that I use is stop making boring letters. Okay. Uh, so I, I think I would just finish by saying, you know, the whole point of this is to enjoy yourself, excite yourself, surprise yourself. And whatever it takes to do that, you know, do it and, and uh, with no fear, you know, things go wrong. That teaches you something. But uh, be big, be ambitious for big things. I don't mean in scale, but push yourself. Uh, it's, it's really what I tell my students all the time. Don't be scared to push yourself to do something you haven't tried. Um, and if it goes wrong, then it'll go right the next time. And uh, I think calligraphy has a huge future because it's a, it's a global movement now that we're part of and connect with people around the world like we're doing today. I think that's another important message, you know, so. That's that's how I would end. That's a perfect ending. Thank you for being guest on the podcast. It's been a, a truly honor and a super great pleasure to have you on the podcast. And thank uh, you. Thank you all guys for listening. Thank you for watching. Uh, leave a comment. Uh, I will leave all the links to uh, Brody's work and classes in the description. And as always, keep writing. <laughs> bye bye everybody. If you made it that far that you see or hear me right now, uh, first of all, I want to thank you. You're one of the super special people, uh, which are much appreciated. And uh, since you're one of those people, I kindly want to ask you to leave a like, comment on the video and share it. Um, it was not an easy choice to create a new channel for the podcast, as you might know. Calligraphy Master's main channel is 370k followers and uh, it's much easier to reach a lot of people there. So it was not a, an easy choice to make a new channel. And right now, all the help and support is needed, guys. Please leave a like, comment, subscribe with the bell icon, share the podcast. It's all needed and much appreciated. Keep writing.